We had a collaboration with some Chinese com uh, Chinese uh, scientists. Here we have a vaccine. What is the problem? Get over it. Now, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, healthcare, reproductive health services, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15 percent. I hope that it can occur in a, a civil way, and I, 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 I mean civil in a special way, I, peaceful. The biggest question, in, maybe in economics and politics of the coming decade, will be what to do with all these useless people. I just see the need for such a dialogue, and I see the need for action. I see the need for a great reset. We are 1,210 days into 14 days to flatten the curve. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Johnny Anderson alongside Bruce Adams and from CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com, Melissa. Melissa, how are you? How was your holiday? It was pleasant. It was low-key. I guess you didn't celebrate over there. No, I did not. It was just another day. Yeah, everybody was doing their usual stuff. I did hear a firecracker go off at about two o'clock in the morning last night, just one. And <laughs> I thought, really? You people can't just give it a rest. I, I don't like fireworks. I'm one of those people that I just I don't like. It. I, I think that there are better ways that we can spend the community's money as opposed to that. But hey, you know, who am I to be a spoil sport? People like their fireworks and their entertainment. And that's OK, I guess. But I just look at it as a complete waste of money. Yeah. But other than that, yeah, it's I, I didn't do anything. Not nothing at all. I was actually I was quite bored because there was there was nothing to listen to. There was nothing to read because nobody was doing it. Everybody was having like hot dogs and burgers and everything over there. So there was nothing going on. And so I just sat back and I got involved in um, in this new book I was telling you about in prep. And uh, I'm wow. I, I don't even know what to say to that. Um, that's that is that is amazing. But uh, anyhow, Bruce, how are you? Healthy and alive. Also had a uh, low key uh, holiday. And I'm the exact opposite when it comes to fireworks. Um, in fact, every year um, growing up, we, my, my parents would buy me as like an early birthday present, like uh, $100 worth of fireworks uh, that I would then uh, proceed to blow things up with. <laughs> so, yes, I am <laughs> yeah, uh, for the, the, the opposite. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, yeah, it's exactly. for the kids. You know, we had the little sparklers and everything, because you know, that's all we had back in the... Uh, Back in the 80s and the 90s, was just those things. And we had those little, um, what were those things? The, those little tiny things. They look like uh, like peanuts or something. They were just wrapped in paper and you just, you threw them down at the ground. The they poppers. just snapped. Yeah, yeah. little popper things. Yeah. And the little party poppers where it looked like a little bottle mm -hmm. and you pull the string on the back of it and out shot this mm -hmm. confetti and stuff. Mm -hmm. So that's, that was all we had. If we were really going all out, then we got a Roman candle. That was big stuff. Oh, yeah. 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 And, and if you were if you were really big stuff, then you got the Roman candle that had the repeater on it. So the, you know, the uh -huh. report at the end, yeah, and a bottle yeah. rocket. The bottle rocket was the grand finale. Ah. So, yeah, yeah, that's what we had. Those uh, for uh, those interested, those little poppers, um, this makes for some great pranks. Um, you put a couple of those underneath the toilet seat, you know, where the <laughs> legs are and somebody sits down on it and it gives you a little pop. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose we should get into what's actually at the front of everything today. They found some white powdery substance in the White House. No, it is not anthrax. I know everybody's thinking it's some kind of a biological attack. No, 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 no. It's cocaine. And here to tell you about it is the mainstream media on what they found. And turning to some breaking news, we have just learned that a formal lab has confirmed the suspicion that that white powdery substance found in the West Wing on Sunday was in fact positive for cocaine. The discovery led to a brief evacuation of the White House Sunday night. Joining us now is NBC White House correspondent Mike Memoli. So Mike, where do things stand now? This is so unusual. You and I have covered the White House for years. I can't even unusual. fathom anything like this having been found before in the West Wing and I go back to the 70s at the White House. So this is pretty, pretty wild. 
That's absolutely extraordinary, Andrea. And this new conclusive test confirms what had been the preliminary field test conducted by D.C. fire personnel who were called in on Sunday night after the discovery of this suspicious substance by a uniformed officer in the Secret Service uh, that was conducting a routine patrol of the White House. And so uh, to recap on the developments from that we've been reporting on yesterday, this was found, we understand, in a highly trafficked common area of the West Wing. It's an area where individuals, especially visitors, individuals who may be coming for, for instance, a private tour, might have been asked to leave some of their personal belongings before heading into uh, more sensitive areas of the West Wing, which, of course, includes the president's, the vice president's office, some of the most senior officials' uh, offices, as well as the press team and a number of deputies. It's just unfathomable how they found Um, cocaine in the White House. Going all the way back to the 70s, you can't imagine something like this happening ever. There's a quick update on that. It was found in a common area. Uh, No, it was not found that that was uh, misinformation by the media. It was actually found in the library. It was found in the library. Well, see, Bruce, somebody needed to stay up late and study. That's what it was all about. Well, if it was found, if it was found in the library, then obviously the butler did it with a candlestick. You got it. You got it. I was going to go with Colonel Mustard, but I just, you know, I I had to had to really think on it for just a minute. No. What one of the uh, the law enforcement officials that are investigating the uh, the suspicious white powder that tested positive for cocaine, they say that it's unlikely that the actual culprit will ever be found. Can you imagine? They're not going to be able to figure out who did this with all the security cameras and and the <laughs> the Secret Service. They can't figure out whose cocaine that was. Has Hunter Biden been in the White House in the last forty eight hours? Because. <laughs> I mean, that's the first place I would look. You know, you got the president's son who's, well, he's got a drug problem. That's the first place that I would look. But yeah. There's a bit of controversy, it looks like, between this. So one side is saying, uh, one side being the Secret Service saying, uh, it was found, uh, as you said, in a common area, whereas the uh, dispatch clearly states it was found in the library. So... I'm not sure which one it was, uh, and if uh, someone's covering up the other, uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. So it, it, the mystery deepens. It will continue to deepen because Politico is saying the, the small amount of cocaine was found in a cubby area for storing electronics in the basement. So was it found in the basement? <laughs> was it found in a common area or was it found in the library? Bruce, you're shaking your head. You don't sound convinced by any of these. No, it sounds like another cover up of uh, let's let's be honest. There is one individual that is new to the White House that um, well, relatively new to the White House that has repeatedly been caught doing drugs. He's on camera doing drugs. He's been paid in drugs by other um, nations. So, I mean, it it just kind of I I don't know. It's it's already pointing itself to Hunter Biden. I mean, it, it. I just feel like they're covering up again for him. Well, well you'd be happy to know that the FBI is assisting in the investigation, so you know it's going to be non-biased and impartial. <laughs> Sorry, Melissa, go yeah. ahead. Well, it, it's it, Hunter Biden provides a useful stooge, and everybody can say, oh, look, look at, you know, Hunter and Burisma, and Hunter's corrupt, and Hunter took this, you know. Hunter is just a bag man for his father, and the mm-hmm. fact that he's got some problems with pornography and young girls and cocaine and whatever is is really neither here nor there. The money, nobody's paying Hunter for any kind of analysis or consultation. He knows nothing. This is all the corruption of his father that is decades old, that goes back for decades. And I, and we're being mocked with these stories because the corruption is so endemic and everywhere within our government. And we're, we're supposed to follow the play and be shocked by the play. 
well, I'm I'm shocked that they found cocaine in the White House, aren't you? <laughs> I'm, I'm shocked. You know, even even Congressman Matt Gates, you know, the car salesman. That's what he reminds me of, by the way. He reminds me of a, a used car salesman. I don't know why he just does. But even he said, and I, I played the video a couple of times here, but uh, he said, you know what? Americans, they like cocaine. So you're not going to keep it out of their hands. That's what they love in D.C. So why not? Hey, now, speaking of substances that are not supposed to be in a certain place, you know, we just lost an entire container of radioactive material. I'm sure that that's not a problem. We lost an entire container of this stuff in New Mexico. Kind of like we lost, was it 30 tons of ammonium nitrate, and now we've got forest fires everywhere where we don't have droughts? Strange coincidences <laughs> of these things. Listen, you you look surprised. You look like you're, you're amused by all of these things. These are serious issues that we need to pay <laughs> attention to. Well, when you when you told me that when we were doing our little sound check, I looked it up and I discovered just in one click that this is the, the, the uh, it's like, which time did we lose that? There's so it, many you were pulling it back for like 23 <laughs> years. And you're like, this is all the way back in 2001 and 2003 and 2005. Yeah. You're like, we lose this stuff all the time. Yeah. Who cares? Right. It doesn't matter. Well, the, the poor labor in Morocco, that was from 84, when one that was en route to Michigan, I think, went missing and ended up in Morocco. I, I, I'm a little fuzzy on the details, but yeah, it's, it seems to be that we don't have much concern over radioactive no, isotopes. No, of course we don't. Uh, we don't have much concern for a whole lot of anything in the uh, in the U.S. these days, it seems like. Anyway, all right, I guess enough of the funny stuff. How have you been over the last couple of weeks? Um, would you like to talk about the um, the three-ring circuit, oh, excuse me, the, the coup that happened, or the coup attempt that happened in Russia? Would you like to talk about what's going on in the U.S.? Would you like to talk about something else? I Whatever you want. It's an open forum for you as always, so whatever you'd like to... Uh, Oh, well, I I tell you what, I'll just I'll, I'll ride along and, and enjoy the ride. You can talk about whatever you want and I'll pipe oh, okay. in. I, I've oh. been I, I haven't been up to much of anything except doing the redux, doing the real history, trying to balance it all out. And I went into I usually save this for when we're wrapping it up and you ask me what's coming next. But the real history that I'm putting up tomorrow actually today, later today, um, is with Darren in South Africa, and he's joined by an activist named Petrosito, who he, he just circles South Africa, meets with farmers who have been victims of these farm attacks and farm murders, finds out their stories, and tries to bring attention to South Africans that this is in large part because of ANC corruption, South African government corruption, and just things that are that have never been properly addressed since the end of apartheid. And he's a, a black African gentleman. And but anyway, the the point is it's a pretty dark place working on the video, doing having the conversation uh, that that this is going on is it's just so horrific and it really has been going on since the end of apartheid and it so that's that's what i've been up to the last couple of days so that's where my head is at that's a subject that i've been hearing about i want to say uh it's been almost five years now i've been hearing about that. Mm -hmm. of course i know it's been going on a lot longer than that but this is uh, something that i've i've been hearing about um time and again it's been sporadic there was a time when i was hearing about it it seemed like it was almost on a weekly basis mm -hmm. and then it just kind of dropped off i think it, i think the main reason it dropped off is because of covid and everything that happened there and then of course south africa has been on the forefront as a major geo political playing piece by the West and the East. So we've kind of been distracted and we haven't been paying attention to those types of issues down there that need to be paid attention to. And well, when guess, you say, yeah, go ahead, oh, go ahead, go on. go on. Well, when you say five years, that kind of makes sense because one key thing that happened five years ago is this, um, I, I'll just call it Bill 35. Like, I, I'm pretty sure that that's, that's what it's called. And this was the expropriation of land from farmers. And the idea was that they would expropriate land that they felt was unequally held. It, there, there was too much farmland in the hands of white farmers, and it needed to be redistributed. But this hasn't happened. There's been no equitable redistribution. There's so much corruption with it, but, you know, the, the fellow that I was talking to yesterday just described the president and the 
ANC as gangsters mafia. So that's that may be why the timing is is there in your head as as five years. I, but I it's would like not, to. It, yeah, I, I, I'm sorry. I would, I would just like to know, and maybe you know the answer to this question that you had in your your conversation. I don't know. I'll, I'll have to go listen to it. But um, and I know that the the gentleman or both gentlemen could answer this. But my question is: is where are these uh, international regulatory uh, bodies, such as the all the Almighty United Nations, in any of this? I don't I don't hear them, or or Amnesty International, or any of the usuals out there. Where are they in any of this? Well, that's just it. I mean, this the, and this is what the, they're calling attention to is that you don't have any outrage. And, and the way that they've conveyed this is that there is so much misinformation from the, the South African mainstream press that they will not characterize these as in any way race motivated. They point out some interesting things. One is that there's a there, there are different types of farm attacks. One is just the, you know, almost like a crime of opportunity. You go there, you rob, you take what you can. Um, the, the, some of them do seem to have a racial motivation. But what you've got with at, at least a third of them, according to what he mentioned yesterday, is something that is highly organized. So it is a highly organized attack, um, and, and that means cell jammy technology, uh, night vision, assisted night vision, insiders. Insiders are often used, so a farm worker supplies information. And they also are using it. Now, the blackouts that they have there are publicly announced. Your area is going to be on a blackout for such and such a period of time, and then it's coming on here. So those are used to the advantage. But one of the things that also speaks to the organized nature of these that I discovered in in, in doing some research is that they're getting inside information on where a power uh, relay station might have suffered something like the theft of backup batteries that they need to run or generators. So in other words, they're coordinating not just with the blackout, but with some kind of local crime, a theft that is going to mean that they're not going to be up and running when they say they're up and running. So there's some elements like that that's going on. But it is it is disturbing. And then one of the things that we tried to bring out in the conversation is that food security is unfortunately something that's very real problem for all of us, our food supplies. And you, you can see this going on if you just take a look, no matter where you're looking, whether it's what's going on in Russia, Ukraine, or China having so much control of manufacturing, farming supply of the food. I mean, especially when I lived in Canada, there were so many things that you'd just go to a regular grocery store and everything was made in China, made in China. You know, here Canada should have one of the best fishery industries in the world and you could not get frozen fish in a Canadian an average Canadian supermarket that wasn't from China. So they, we're talking about food security and it is a global issue and the point that we were trying to make is that every region or nation or however you want to view it, their food supply is going to be under attack in one way or another, but it's different country to country. Yeah, this is when you say that, I just I can't help but think of Henry Kissinger when he said that you, food needs to be used as a weapon. That's the first yes. thing that comes to my mind when yeah. you uh, when you mention that. And I think to myself that and that's that's what they're doing is that, yes. you know, I still can't get over the fact that you can't get fresh fish in Canada. As in like Canada, Canada, they don't fish their own waters that like I'm sure that they do on a very small scale and maybe like a local scale or something, but not on a national scale. And I'll be quite honest with you, the research that Bruce and I have been doing recently, and we did, we did, I think we told you about it the last time you were on, we did a little, um, a little coastal tour of China, if you will. And we've actually had some of our contributors that spent some time in China, in some of these coastal areas. I'll be honest with you, I wouldn't want to eat anything that comes out of the water from China. Mm -hmm. So fish would be the last thing. I mean, I don't, I don't like fish anyway, but I mean, I suppose in in a um, a survival scenario, I'm, believe me, I'm going to be the biggest lover of fish that you could ever find. But I'm 
not going to voluntarily eat something out of the waters in and around China. I'm just not going to do it. Well, remember when the West set up China to be the manufacturing base, uh, it, it wasn't it wasn't just that we're sending you all of our manufacturing. It was we're sending you all of this and you're not going to have to pay uh, commensurate taxes on things. And you're not going to have to have the same environmental standards that every other country is going to have to maintain. So they are allowed to, you know, not only burn coal uh, as they wish, but continue to build new coal processing plants. And, you know, that's that's a huge component of how their energy is supplied. And they're allowed to uh, pollute with impunity. So, yeah, you're right. I wouldn't want to eat something along but no there you go um, not at all um and uh, to to this point about canada i'm i'm sorry i'm just I, these questions keep popping up in my head as you as you continue on do you know anybody that's been affected up there by these wildfires yes as a matter of fact i do i've spoken to some people i last week i was talking to someone who was going to head out to a, a little holiday trip but couldn't leave his place because the smoke, con- the, the conditions were so terrible that he just didn't want to leave the house. And where he was going was going to put him in the path of more, you know, not necessarily in the path of the fires themselves, but was going to put him into air that w- is not breathable. And th- this was also probably about eight or nine days ago now. But some people up in the north part of the U.S. were telling me that they also couldn't leave their house because it was so bad. I did a quick search up the Chicago, Illinois, for their air conditions, their the pollution that day, and I think they said if you know if the index is 100, it's not safe for elderly or children. If it's 150, it's not really safe for anybody. And on that particular day, the air quality was 200. So it's twice what it should be. Yeah. And that was all attributed to the fires. But I've also been shown some interesting uh, satellite footage that's showing strange, like beams of fire that just seem to shoot down into the forest at different places. Yeah. So in other words, what you're looking at normally, if you're looking at a, a wildfire, you see what looks to be a wall of fire. I'm sure you've all seen that as it moves and it yeah, yeah. Yep. They, it can move quickly, but it, it generally moves in a line like that, that, you know, it takes an area. But these fires are like pockets of fire, almost as if something, I mean, I don't want to get some conspiratorial here, but almost as if some kind of projectile is being aimed at certain areas, and you just have little fire missiles, as it were, going down. And the other thing that I've been shown from people in Canada is similar to uh, what was that Paradise, California, a couple of years ago, where they had the fire that just basically disintegrated automobiles and other metal objects, but the forest itself was perfectly intact. Yeah, and the same thing in Canada, where I've been shown the before and after, and there's a house in a clearing surrounded by the forest. The house is gone. It's obliterated, but the forest is completely intact. Now, what kind of a, I mean, you see, well, we're, t- we're talking about something that is impossible. Yeah. Like that's, the, that's, I was just getting ready to say that's not possible. No, because see, in, I mean, I was in... In Canada, several years ago, I think it might have been 2018, I lose track of time, but I, but we had an encroaching, there were a series of forest fires going on, and one was coming into the area, and we had packed bins, I think we had four or five bins of the things that we said were essential, that we'll, ha- we'll be able to get these in the car in basically 45 seconds if we have to evacuate. So that's how we were living for several days there as it was coming that close to us. And yes, I've talked to people up in Canada now who have had it coming that close, but we could see as we were following it, like I described, the wall of fire, and it just keeps slowly moving towards you. Well, that's not what these forest fires look like, and that's not what the fires in California look like. There are pockets where things that burn and disintegrate 
at high, high heat only. Talking about an, an automobile that's taken down to the metal frame, but all the trees around it are intact. No fire damage. Bruce, uh, I'll bring you in on this one. Doesn't this sound kind of like what she was describing there? Doesn't this sound almost like these um, directed energy weapons that we've been theorizing about that we supposedly don't have? Potentially, yeah. Um, you could potentially. So a directed energy weapon would cause um, friction. And if you hit something that, um, I mean, it, very aggressive friction, really, it's, it's using um, energized uh, light particles. We'll say energized, um, but they're excited. And when they impact something, it creates a lot of friction. If, if you hit something like a, a piece of steel, for example, it, it, it doesn't exactly melt it. It almost atomizes it uh, in, a, in a sense. Um, not the entire piece, but it, depending on the level of megawatts that are used in the, in, the, in the directed energy weapon or laser, determines how quickly it'll, it'll start atomizing pieces of it. it. It just basically just vaporizes parts of it. It doesn't like mm -hmm. melt like in the movies and, you know, it's dripping down and no, it, it just completely atomizes. So in theory, if you hit something like a tree with that, it would burst into flames. Or a mm -hmm. very well-placed, pre-placed patch of uh -huh. some type of an accelerant is yes. My, yes. My, theory, my theory there is, is what I'm thinking. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, in fact, you can take, um, you can get some pretty powerful lasers as is, um, uh, just over the counter, if you will, and do some simple modifications to it to make, a la it, to make it even more powerful. And you can, um, as an example, pop balloons. Uh, with you don't even have to do any modifications to some of these lasers that you can get over the counter and you can pop uh, just a normal balloon that you blow up just increasing the the amount of energy supplied there of course you're going to have to think about cooling and other things as well but you could easily do something like that and it, even even if taking the directed energy weapon out of the out of the picture as well we have so many people that have been brought into these various nations uh, around the world that would uh, probably do exactly that uh, arson uh, for a few bucks. Um, I'll take a look because, at France. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, right now, I mean, they're they're torching libraries. Of course, that's loving and liberal and progressive, we're being told. Mm -hmm. Like, if you, if, you, if you look at Canada's fires, I mean, right now we're, we're into July. But even early on, I mean, this was early, early June, and we've got it going across the country, which is highly unusual. So it's Quebec, Ontario, out in BC, other provinces were affected. And Canada's um, not if, in a drought. They're, they're not having drought well, conditions. No, although the news, the mainstream still wants to, uh, I'm looking at American newspaper right now, but they, they still want to characterize this as because of drought conditions and climate change. And the, I, I know that in Canada, the news that they're getting, they're being told over and over and over, this is because we had a really mild winter. And okay, so you could, maybe you can buy that for a Western province like British Columbia. But a mild winter in Northern Ontario, where some of these fires are, is still very cold, probably going to have some snow. And early June is insanely early for a fire season to be happening in Northern Ontario. It just doesn't happen. And I said that the, um, I mentioned that the, the smoke was all over Northern US, but the smoke is in Europe. The smoke from the Canadian forest fires has made it to Europe. So what's happening in Canada is out of yeah twenty million acres of land across Canada twenty million it, it almost it, it, it almost seems it, I, I'm sorry it, it almost seems like they are clearing that land that they need to utilize for something if you can kind of indulge my my thought process here for just a minute. So pre-COVID, they were very gradual in trying to introduce this idea of these future city concept, right? The 15-minute city is what they're called now coming out of the World Economic Forum. Mm -hmm. And during COVID uh, across uh, Canada and, and Australia and places like this, places where you have vast countryside, Australia saw the forest fires last year, didn't they? The, the bushfires mm -hmm. all across mm -hmm. the country. 
in places where they otherwise wouldn't be. And now all of a sudden, all of these places, they're ramping up these 15-minute city concepts where they just so happen to have all of that cleared land now. And I'm wondering if they're trying to do the same thing with the government, you know, Trudeau and his his cohort up there in Canada. They're going to use this as a justification say, oh, look, see, we've got all this land over here now that's all clear. And well, you know, we, we need to do these uh, these sustainable development goals, and these sustainable develop these zero emission, zero carbon cities or whatever. And that's what they'll do because they can't convert the places that they already have. They can't convert the cities. They can't get the people in mass in the cities to go along with this stuff. And so now they're just going to go outside of it. It's just, again, just food for thought. Well, it is interesting food for thought. Uh, One of the documents that Alan was fond of reading from and quoting from was a UK Ministry of Defense document, a projection of future scenarios. And the time that they were covering was 2007 to 2025 so or maybe it reached out to it was probably to to 35 but many of the things that were being targeted for 2025 have come to fruition and then some one of the things they they said in that document was that you would have that there were going to be at that time there was something like 20 megacities, but they predicted that there would be 40 by the year 2025. And as it turns out, we already have 44 or 45 megacities in 2023, depending on whose stats you're looking at. So the idea of the end of nations has been on the books for a long time. And what's to supplant the nations are these megacities that are basically corporate enterprises. And I think we're well on target for that. And these things can sound so overwhelming and crazy and frankly conspiratorial. But if you do read enough of their documents and see where they're going with it, we really are right on target. Their fourth industrial revolution, their artificial intelligence and everything that that brings with it is ultimately going to displace a lot of workers. Yes, will it will it make life and work easier for some? No doubt it will. But there will be a lot of jobs lost and there won't be a need for anybody to be in a rural area. And the reason why is that it's going to be unsustainable. And you're already getting that in the 15-minute city propaganda is we can't sustain because of climate change, we cannot sustain the roads, we can't sustain the electricity, we, you know, the failing grids, et cetera, et cetera. We've got, you have to be in a city. You have to be, if you want anything, if you want any of your basic needs supplied. You know, there's a, uh, there's a group that is, um, that's already ahead of this and it's, it's not really talked about, but they are already in full swing. And Bruce and I just kind of tripped over this group a couple of years ago during the COVID thing. Everything that we're hearing about now is 2030, right? We're hearing just a little bit about 2050. You won't start hearing about 2050 and that stuff until we hit 2030. When we hit 2030, something else will happen, right? (laughs) Because we hit 21 and we had COVID. So we're going to hit Mm -hmm. 2030 and something else is going to happen. I don't know what that is, but it seems like they throw one of these very large crises at us every time to force through and ram through that change that we otherwise wouldn't take. And quite frankly, I think they're... I know you say that they're right on track, and I, I believe that they're they're on track, but they're they're making a lot of mistakes. They're fumbling. I believe that they're rushing. They're moving too fast. Example: these electric cars. There's no way in any reality that that's ever going to work. Uh, there was a new report that came out this week. I think it was even done by one of the bought and paid for government think tanks, and they said that electric vehicles create seventy percent more emissions than existing. Petrol power and diesel vehicles do already. Go ahead, Bruce. I I think that's intentional. So I think not having a push towards other battery types, as an example, and sticking with the lithium ion, it's going to cause a shortage. And so they're going to have to ration the number of cards manufactured. If you're not going to own anything and you're going to be happy about it, they're going to only have a limited amount of cars that they'll allow corporations to have. And then they'll have some kind of ride sharing or some kind of like Uber system or something uh, for the uh, those with a good enough carbon score or social score uh, that they can 
uh, utilize those. Well, yeah. Bruce, you've re- you've nailed it. You have nailed it. Because if you look at the UN document on agenda, what was then Agenda 21, which is, you know, Sustainable Development Goals, Agenda 2030, whatever, it was always essential vehicles only. They were never in their documents and white papers. They were never touting the wonders of the electric vehicle. It was essential vehicles only. So what they're easing us into, you know, not having anything and being happy. It's it's just yeah. a step. I, I yeah. think that it's a big piece of sustainable theater, the idea that we are going to be driving electric vehicles. Because I mentioned to you, I think a month or so ago, maybe longer, that I had been at a, a civic meeting. Where, you know, I like to just go places and, and hear what people are talking about. And this particular one was a local supplier of power. And people in this small town, there were several people in the audience who were grousing. They said, look, if the, you know, the grid is, it's in disarray. It's in shambles. It doesn't support our basic electrical needs now, our electricity needs now. How are we ever going to be in electric vehicles? So what I'm saying is the man and woman on the street in small town America understand that this is a pipe dream. And they're all kind of scratching their heads and going, why? And I think the why is because it was just simply never intended that we were all going to be driving electric vehicles. Never. No, you're absolutely right. Back to the uh, the group that I said that Bruce and I stumbled onto before we mm. drift too far from it was uh, a group called the WBCSD. That is the World Business Council on Sustainable Development, and mm. they are talking about everything 2050, nothing 2030. Everything 2050. Mm-hmm. And they've got, I think it's already over 200 corporations and uh, thousands of CEOs that are already involved with it. And it just so happens as we were looking at it, we're like, where in the world is this group based out of? Well, Bruce did some digging and found out that they're literally across the street from the World Economic Forum offices in Davos, Switzerland. And wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it just Good so happens. Fun. Yeah, they're still there. It just so happens they happen to have a solution right here on their page about mobility decarbonization. What do ah. they say about that? Electrification of transport and decarbonization of the automotive industry powered by renewable electricity, which will not work, is at the center of global greenhouse gases or GHG emissions in the reduction efforts to accelerate this transition in line with the Paris Agreement, which, to his credit, Trump pulled us out of. The Mobility Decarbonization Project convenes CEOs at the nexus of energy, mobility, and built environment. Together, we aim to bridge the gap to a net zero scenario for road transport by supporting and increasing the deployment of charging infrastructure and zero emission vehicle technologies. Interesting. Interesting. And to your point. Very uh, interesting. Yeah. And to the earlier point about the places where you're going to live, they just so happen to have these things. This is called a circular. See, they've thought of everything. These people, they're so thoughtful. They care so much about you and the future that they've already thought of all this for you. So you don't have to, right? Because you're going to own nothing and you're going to be happy about it. They say so. Circular built environment. To turn the circular built environment into reality, it is necessary to incorporate elements such as standardization, new forms of collaboration, co-creation processes, digital innovation, education, they mean re-education, and information Mm -hmm. sharing. This will enable companies and cities to meet not just global sustainability targets, but also to drive the essential change in mindset and culture that is needed. You see, you're going to have to be re-educated for Mm -hmm. these things to work. Mm -hmm. So you see, they've got it all figured out. Wow. And this is an this is interesting, and it is interesting. It's across the street from the World Economic Forum. I'm sure that mm-hmm. it is a major player, and I'll have to dive oh, yeah. in and, yeah, and yeah. take this a is look. WBCSD. It's not very catchy. I'm sure they'll probably change the name of it at some point. But yeah. uh, there is, and it's believe me, it is just a small little office. It's almost like a kiosk. It's not very big. It's uh, I want to say maybe four or five hundred square feet. And that's mm-hmm. about it. It's not very big. It's it's literally just on the side of the road at Davos. It's a virtual office. More or less. It's yeah, it's like one of those satellite offices. It's kind of the kind <laughs> of something like that. But it's the WBCS or WBCSD.org is their website. You can go there and, and check out everything that they've got. But they're posting uh stuff that is I mean, it's current. This is from 
Uh, this is from April of this year. And you see what they're trying to do here. They're trying to incorporate the um, the overgrown vegetation and stuff on the cities and everything. This is supposed to be like the sustainable whatever. You're going to live in these beehive things or or whatever. And their people write all this stuff. And yeah, they, they've got all of these, these companies. So these are some of the companies that they've already got involved. Uh, of course, you've got 3M, I, just to name a few because there's so many here. AB, InBev, Bruce, isn't that Anheuser-Busch? I'm pretty sure that's, 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 excuse me, Transheiser Bush, I, I think is what we're calling them now. <laughs> Laboratories, Amazon, Apple, Apple. of course. Yeah. yeah. Bayer uh, or Bayer, BASF, Bloomberg, BMW, BP, Bridgestone. I mean, these Chevron chemicals. I mean, these are all names that you know. I mean, these are, these are companies that are, that are global and they're already involved in all of this. And this, these are just a few. Right there, there's pages and pages. I'm just in the C's going into the D's, and I'm already mm-hmm. on page three. So, mm-hmm. I mean, Dow Chemicals. You know, you can trust it when Dow Chemicals is involved, right? Mm-hmm. You can trust something when they're involved. With it. So, yeah. this this is what they've already got planned. You see, they've already extrapolated this out to 2050. So it's it's not like we're just going to get to 2030 and you're going to hear the end of it. No, 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 no. They've mm-hmm. already got this to 2030 or to 20, excuse me, from 2030 to 2050. And then when you hit 2050, those of us that are still around, you're going to be hearing about 2100 is what you're going to be hearing mm-hmm. about. So they're going to continue. Well, on. remember that uh, Carl Quigley wrote in Tragedy and Hope, and this was back in the 60s. He said there will be a new kind of feudalism and the feudal overlords will be the corporate CEOs. And so you can see when you look at something like this and the corporations are behind it. And if you, when you get into any of the important NGOs and you look at who's sponsoring them or who's behind them, you will find Amazon and and Dow and you know there it's always because they're the ones they're the drivers who are shaping national legislation not the other way around you know our our countries have very little governance if any over a corporation it's it's the other way around well, you know what else is going to be taking place by 2030? This is not a 2050 goal. This is a 2030 goal. And I thought that uh, the two of you could weigh in on this. I mean, I, I can't tell you how thrilled I am and I can't tell you how forward I'm looking to this. Do you like fashion? Do you like wearing different clothes and, and different outfits and things? I, I'm sure you do. Yeah, you both do. Yeah, you like different different choices in, in clothing. Of course, you go to a clothing store and you got all kinds of I, stuff. I got, I got over it, Johnny. You got over it. Okay. Well, that's good because you won't have to be re-educated then. The World Economic (laughs) Forum has a new paper out saying that humans by 2030 will all wear a uniform. You see, you're not going to need that that fashion any longer because you're going to get three pieces of clothing per year. Three outfits. That's all you're going to get, right? That's a newly written report uh, that's been rehashed from 2019. So they've kind of updated it a little bit. The report demonstrates Mm -hmm. that mayors have an even bigger role and an opportunity to help avert the climate emergency than previously Mm -hmm. thought. And so in order to do this, well, you see, you're going to have to change the clothes you're wearing. The report outlines six areas where world governments can take rapid action to address consumption-based emissions. That includes food, which we just talked about. Uh, mm-hmm. or, well, that's one of the, they want you to eat like cricket protein bars or whatever. Air protein is the newest thing out of the World Economic Forum. Yeah, you're going to love that. Air protein. I'm not joking. They put out a video on it this week. Air protein. Bruce, you look like you just, you're not even interested in that, not even remotely. Air protein. No? No. 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 I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not like a plankton or something just eating. No. Yeah. Air. Just air. eat air. Yeah. You're fine. That's that's good, right? <laughs> uh, construction, clothing, vehicles, which we've talked about, aviation, which you're not going to fly, and electronics. Uh, so you see, it says here now that uh, it is now clear that action to reduce consumption will be necessary as part of the global effort to mitigate climate change. The actions that set out in this report are challenging, and they will be confronting for many, but we think that they are necessary. You think they're necessary. You see this? City mm-hmm. mayors can set a vision and convene actors to bring about the changes we describe. The work reported here forces forces yeah, forces forces a focus on what a sustainable urban future might look like and helps us to consider what policies, regulations, incentives, and behavioral changes will be necessary to a transition to a zero carbon world. A lot of forcing mm-hmm. in there, not a lot of acceptance, it sounds like. Well, okay. 
I did like fashion at one point in my life, and let's go back and talk about fashion. Sure. I have I've been reading a book. Um, it's very interesting. I'm now about a third of the way through it that that my brother gave me from his library last week, and it's called Mr. Baruch, and it's the authorized biography of Bernard Baruch. It was written in 1957, and he he was a major player in World War One. He was a, a Wall Street speculator. He was with Wilson and Mandel House at the Paris Agreement in 1919, helping them draft the reparations and so forth and so on. But what really jumped out at me here was when they were talking about how, when remember, when we went into World War I, women wore skirts that were at their ankles. There were a lot. There was a lot of fabric underneath the outer skirts. You might have two or three layers of fabric there. But they decided that the hemline needed to be raised, and some of the inside fabric, what they called weighting, that gave the skirt, you know, weight and movement and rustle. All that had to be eliminated to save fabric to conserve for the war. So I thought that was very interesting. So it basically, in the book. You know, they're jokingly giving Mr. Baruch the, they said, so the doughboys, the soldiers in World War One, got to have a glimpse of ankle thanks to Mr. Baruch. Well, I was doing a little bit of research on the weekend for something that I was writing, and I remembered I had known this, but, I, you know, fortunately, I was able to pull this out again in time to write about it. The bikini, we know, got its name from the bikini atoll testing of nuclear weaponry and the Marshall Islands between 46 and the late 50s. But the reason why they said it was necessary for women to wear a bikini was to save fabric for the, you know, because we had been depleted in our fabric from World War II. So what I'm, the point that I'm making is they can get us to wear anything or not wear anything if they present us with a wartime scenario. And the Club of Rome in their limits to growth in the early 70s said, we have to convince people that they are the enemy and they'll do it through drought. And, you know, so what they've given us is man-made global warming. We are the enemy. So when they tell us that we have to go naked in the summertime, we will do it. And we'll wear, we have three outfits that we get to wear. We will wear them because there's a war on. But even so, they're they're still making emphasis here and and pointing out that you're going to have to force. They they say that they f- uh, force a focus on what a sustainable urban future might look like, and it helps us to consider what policies, regulation, uh, and incentives and behavioral changes will be mm-hmm. necessary. So they're expecting a at least just reading this and and taking it at face value. It, it seems like they're expecting a large resistance to that. Oh, I think that they're probably wrong now. They've got all the women doing selfies right. of their backside. And, <laughs> you know, people are just happy to go out in any state of undress anywhere now. So, you know, I, I don't I think the re-education will be for old fogies like me. Oh, you know, I, I saw it's, it's funny you say that. I saw a tweet the other day by somebody who has hundreds of like net worth, hundreds of millions of dollars in net worth. OK. And they're literally saying to their followers that losers read books and you shouldn't read. And this is this is this. I'm not joking. This is what is elevated in society. Remember, we talked a couple of weeks ago or or I think maybe it was the time before last. But we talked about how these types of illiteracy and and degeneracy and stupidity are elevated in society. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. Well, you know, we'll, we'll just go along with it. You got so many people out there that are already of this mindset. Anyway, just look, just tell me what shot I need to take and and let me get back to my um, uh, whatever it was, my um, uh, what was it they, they did uh, their sports games or, or what? Let me go to a movie or, or whatever. And so maybe people will put up with it. Well, I think part of the force we're already living through, uh, you know, part of the military future scenarios predictions if you look at what's going on in France there is pushback even even during covid there was some pushback look at the truckers in Canada look at all of the people look at you, what you saw day in and day out for months in Germany with people taking to the streets and saying no enough is enough we're not putting up with this so i think that the 
the force and the pushback, where I think it's going to be a little give and take between force and pushback. But by the time they roll out three uniforms a year per person, I, I think most people will be glad just to have some clothes. Bruce, are you excited about the three uniforms a year? The language I will use or want to use, I will not use uh, to describe my um, enthusiasm for only <laughs> having three uniforms. Yeah. A lot of laundry. Uh, for the listeners that, it's a lot that of laundry been, days. <laughs> uh, a lot of laundry days. A lot of laundry days. Uh, which um, you're not going to be allowed to wash your clothes very often um, because one of the things, one of the trends they tell you is you're supposed to, when you go to take a shower, you're supposed to take a fast shower, but not only are you supposed to take a fast shower, but you're also supposed to clean your clothes while you're in the shower. So... Mm -hmm. I don't know how that one works. Uh, shower with your clothes on, Bruce. What's wrong with you? Uh, yeah, well, yeah, you you go. can also you can if you're if you're clever and organized, you can go to the bathroom, do your laundry, shower, and wash the vegetables that you are going to cook up for lunch. It's just a, mm. a matter of lining well, no, everything no, up. No, 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 no. See, you're misconstruing because <laughs> you don't need to wash the vegetables because you're ingesting air protein. Oh, right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, no. See. Um, I will uh, fight every possible way I can. If that means I have to start a business myself and literally fight against this kind of stuff, uh, I will. Um, I will create a business that manufactures clothing and um, work very diligently to have our state at least um, flip the bird to the federal government and say, uh, no, nah, we're going to continue manufacturing. And uh, you send your feds down here to... Uh, push us around, we're going to arrest them as well. Well, um, and you know, fortunately, just, uh, a lot of let people me know. here at this state have that mentality. So, yeah, just just let me know before that ha before they show up, and I'll make sure that I put in a bulk order before um, before they decide <laughs> to show up and seize all your inventory. There, no, I oh, you're you're right though, Bruce. Seriously, you have hit upon something, which is we can't take this line down, so to speak. We, you know, we're, we're not going to all become breatharians because they want us to be breatharians. We have to say no and no and no. And we have to say it away from our keyboards and out on the street, wherever we can. And to anyone who we can say no to, we have to. And loudly, because it, it, these changes are moving down on us like a freight train. They are. They are. Um, I, I was um, I was actually going to bring up this one thing, uh, but I don't I, I don't think we can discuss it in, in detail. I, I need to see some more on it before we discuss it. It's a uh, it's a it's a it's an electric flying car. I don't know how that's ever going to work, but it was given uh, the go ahead by the Federal Aviation Administration in the U.S. for a test flight. And I honestly I think that's just ridiculous. So, I mean, we're going to have to wait a little bit more on that. I thought we would round out this conversation with a rather touchy subject uh, around the world. And I say that around the world because this has been, and you know, I, I humbly believe that this was a, um, I believe it was a turning point, not to be confused with the, um, the, the fake conservative group, but I believe that this was a turning point in modern American history. And the path that we're on now is, I think, part of a direct result of that. And that's the JFK assassination. The Biden administration and Biden specifically extended the classified ruling on a lot of these files that were set to be released. And uh, you've got RFK Jr. And I, I know that you talked about him. Uh, it's been a few podcasts ago that you were on. You talked about him and his kind of his background. Uh, and he is a, a Democratic presidential candidate. And so I thought we would give this a little bit of airtime, but we don't necessarily have to talk about him. Uh, but he's he's screaming about this. But I, I thought we would discuss the actual uh, class, you know, the classified nature, the extending of that uh, in and of itself, these files. What do you think? And it's, all of this, I guess, is going to be uh, pure conjecture. But what do we think is actually in these files? Now, I, I'm looking for another, because of my mindset, I have to look at all sides of things. I'm looking at another aspect that I hadn't previously considered. And I'm I'm curious as to what the motive behind this could have been. But more than that, I think to, to either possibly confirm or or possibly even, you know, just corroborate or, or maybe disprove what my line of thinking might go down is what would have been released in these files. And I, I thought we would discuss that. Uh, Melissa, what, what do you think about the JFK assassination and what was in these files? Mm. Well, 
or do you have a thought on the actual event itself? Obviously, I don't think that um, what is in the I'm not sure that what is in the files is actually going to show us anything about the event itself, because I think that it was well handled at high levels. I think that the execution was probably flawless. And we already had, you know, the Warren Commission, we've we've already had for anybody who cares to look at it enough so that now I think the last poll that I looked at said that 51 percent of Americans, these are just average Americans. So more than half of average Americans don't buy the lone gun assassination theory. They just rule it out out of hand. So I I think that what is in the files is never going to be the smoking gun that people are looking for. And to me, the trouble with most of these, what you, you know, the so-called conspiracy theories, people will spend their life. I know a lot of people who are experts on the, the JFK assassination conspiracy. They've read every book that's ever come out. They can, they can tell you all about the grassy knoll and the shooters here and the shooter there and the book depository and what, you know, on and on and on. But I always say, well, so what? So what? Because most of your audience wasn't born when this happened. Every change in government, if you're looking for the why, anything that the CIA was up to, anything about the monetary system, we don't know. We can have conjecture on it. There are a lot of people who want to make JFK out as some kind of, you know, Camelot knight. And I don't go there. But it's like, what does the smoking gun prove? Because it's the same thing with Building 7 or, you know, 9-11 or, you know, it's what does it prove? Because the agenda, everything that they wanted to do, taking away our rights, constant surveillance on the American people and, and on, on the world in, in, in general, it's all been done. Three days after the effect, uh, after the event, we were in Afghanistan. Um, why? Well, because they had planned that. That's where they were going. So in other words, what I'm saying is that the agenda steamrolls ahead and no smoking gun that we ever uncover is going to change that. And I just wouldn't want to be one who had become an expert on JFK and you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, I, I do. Just yeah. Go, oh, yeah. 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 They spend their lives on those on that stuff. And it's it's interesting mm-hmm. to hear their theories and everything. I mean, I've heard all kinds of theories on this. And, you know, yeah. we were always told growing up and, and seeing the video and things that they showed to us in like our American civics classes and everything. And <laughs> which amazes me to, to think about how little we are not taught in school, but I won't go there today. It's a conversation for another day. But we were taught then that it was the uh, the magic bullet theory, uh, which I'm sure mm-hmm. you've heard that one many times mm-hmm. before. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And it was it, it's it was that and it was open and shut. And that was the end of it. But no, you're right. It, it always it, you know, it doesn't change the fact of, of anything. I, I, I agree with you. And I don't believe that whatever's in those files that they're not releasing. I don't believe that whatever's in there is some kind of a smoking gun. That's that's not really something that crosses my mind, because, as you say, it's not going to change anything, even if it was. We can all just have our own theories about it, I suppose, because I, I have another way of uh, of thinking about this that somebody else might not think about. But I need to look more into it. But again, that's just my own belief, right? I, I don't believe in what is this magic bullet theory in New York where it goes around and back around and back down and back up through and and then out the back of the, the, the poor man's head. That's ridiculous. You know, it just defies all logic and, and physics and everything that we know. So that, that's kind of stupid. But I think it at the moment, it's just a political football. Uh, that's that's how they're playing it. But you're right. The agenda continues one way or the other. Uh, it, I mean, it, it does it, come it, down yeah. to like a building seven thing. You're, you're right. I, I think there's, there's so much of that in our uh, world and the reality that we all have to navigate. It's the same thing that with this so-called disclosure of UFOs and, you know, I mean, it's like, well, okay, but so what? There's so many things that we can point to that we can prove. I mean, we all lived through COVID and this, you know, Operation COVID. We can point to so much of this that we saw and we have the smoking gun there. But what, what can we do with it? So I I don't need, you know, I don't need to look back 60 years to to that event. UFOs. 
Are you saying yeah. you don't believe in the green men? What's wrong with you? No, I'm just kidding. I, I don't. I don't buy any of that stuff. Again, I think that that right there. I think. I mean, obviously, with the JFK thing, you can say for certain that the man was was assassinated. But with the the alien thing, the UFO thing, or whatever, I think that's just a bunch of crazy nonsense. I I don't I don't believe that for a second. Now, again, the scientific side of me says, and I've said this before, and I'll say it again, the scientific side of me does not believe that we are the only sentient life in this entire galaxy. I don't believe that for a second. But as far as this, uh, whatever this is that they're playing with this uh, release of something, or they're working on reverse engineering, give me a break. Give me an absolute break. And I've been hearing these same stories, and I'm sure you have since we were kids. We're hearing the same claims, the same. So it's always the same, the same script. But we have yet to see any kind of hard given example to anything that they claim. So I don't believe any of it, not for a second. <laughs> Bruce, your your thought on the the JFK thing, the JFK files. So I I don't think there's anything, as you guys said, I don't I don't think there's a smoking gun necessarily. Um, there's going to be stuff in there that might lead us in the right direction, but I think this is all just a political game at this point. It, it, it's ginning up more hysteria and more distrust with the government. Again, this is, um, it's going to cause more conspiracy theories. It's going to cause more angst, uh, towards government. And this is, they, they want that. They want to foment just in any way they possibly can foment more hatred towards the government so that somebody will do something, uh, you know, some kind of attack or something so they can then use that as an opportunity to uh, double down on us, the rest of us, and say, well, we have to take away this right because, um, you know, some spooky thing happened here or some something happened there that we caused, we being the government. Um, that, and I think there is also a little bit of a political game in the sense of politics being played. Um, I, I think there could be something in there that would help, uh, the, um, campaign, the, the, the politics, uh, of RFK, there, there might be something in there that he could exploit. And I, I, I think that's another reason they're, they're probably, um, classifying it again. I, I, I think there's, there's definitely something there. But I don't think it's going to be a smoking gun that's going to be like, oh, well, see, yeah, it was government. They did it. I mean, it's it's not going to be anything like that, I don't think. Well, I, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I think the thing of it is, and that's why I know the two of you spend an awful lot of time with dusty old books. And that's why the dusty old books are important. You've got, we have to be able to read things read between the lines, connect the dots. Nobody is ever going to give us a smoking gun about anything. We got to be able to say, okay, well, I know a little bit about this and a little bit about that, and I can connect the dots. So I can make a, a picture of reality that I think is a pretty close facsimile to what's going on. No, you're absolutely right on that. And that's a that's a fine point to end on is we have to be able to do our own independent research. That's what I've been saying about all this this work that we've been doing recently and, and what we're going to continue. And we're going to devote more time to that uh, in the coming days. That's what it takes. We're trying to figure out what's going on for real. I mean, we're not mm -hmm. we're not sitting around and theorizing and picking up on on sound bites and and stuff that's thrown out to you by controlled opposition. We're trying to actually do what you just said. We're trying to dig through the old documented hard fact that we can actually run down a paper trail on, and we can prove and we can stand by that and we can present that to people, as opposed to just throwing out some mindless talking point and saying, "Here you go, run with that." And it shapes mm -hmm. somebody's opinion. No, we need to find out what the root of this problem is and we need to get to it. That requires time. It requires study. It requires in-depth thought. And it requires you to, as you said, read between the lines because no one's going to give you that. I, I talked to somebody yesterday, just yesterday, and we were talking about everything that was going on with the, uh, the Russian coup. I'm doing the air quotes, Russian coup and everything that's going on with like Wagner and, uh, and Prigozhin. When we finish up, I need to ask you a question about that. Um, the, the Wagner thing, because I recall you saying something, I believe you said something a, a couple of months ago about that, but we'll discuss that later because that goes to a larger point. We can possibly discuss it in detail next week or the week after next when you're on. Okay. But 
I was speaking to somebody just yesterday and we were talking about everything that's going on with the Russia thing. And and they said, why is it that we're sitting here and we're having this conversation? And this person says, and you're you're throwing out all of this information that you can verify that you're you're presenting to me. And I said, yeah, I mean, I was throwing out example after example and documented actual research that's been done that we've done. And they're saying, why isn't the media doing any of this? And I said, they're never going to tell you any of this stuff. It's not going to happen. Their job is to keep you and keep everybody else in society in the dark and confused and scared. So you end up right. with three uniforms a year and some air yeah. protein to eat. <laughs> that's that's the point. All right. Um, yeah. We're going to go ahead and uh, jump out of here. Before we go, would you like to tell people what you've been working on on the website, Cutting Through the Matrix, in the last week and what you've got coming up? Well, I mentioned the real history. I'm excited about that. That is going out today. That is with Darren and Petrus in South Africa. And I think it's very important. I'm hoping that people will watch it or listen to it in whatever form. They'll look at some of the links. They will be struck by how horrifying this is and touched by what Petros is doing in his very small volunteer organization and actually support him. Send, send a donation, help him out and follow along with his work. And then I... Um, also today just wrapped up the last of the excerpt series on programmed people, taking a little beat that came up midweek and going to be doing something a little bit different. I don't know when that launches a, a midweek kind of thing, but not with the precision of every Wednesday. I think it'll just be from time to time. I'll be putting these things up. The words of the great late Alan Watt, he had more to say than anybody I know. And we're just picking through there and finding those gems and then bringing them to people. So they're little bite-sized gems. Well, it's great work that you uh, that you do over there. And uh, I hope you keep it up. Again, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. We're always happy to have you take part in our conversations. And we'll see Thank you again you. In, in two weeks. It will be, I don't know if you know this or not, it will be probably a minute or two before you see Bruce again. So it'll just be the two of us next time. So oh, I will. I'm yeah, sorry to yeah. hear that. Yeah, he's he's working on another project, so he's going to be quite busy with that. Uh, but that's okay. He'll okay. yeah, he'll be back a couple of times a week, once two, one two times a week, depending on his okay. schedule. So I will see you in two weeks. Again, that is Melissa from CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. I encourage all of our listeners to get over there and take a look at the treasure trove of information that they have, where they maintain the life collected works of the late great Alan Watt. Again, CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com and Real History with Melissa is her podcast. I'd like to thank you both for being here today. Thank you to all of the listeners. God bless everyone. And have a good evening.